Hello and welcome to Box Cutters episode 177. It's got two sevens in it and a one. My name is Josh Canal. To my left, he's like Philip Seymour Hoffman if he spoke Australian. It's John Richards. And had a cold. And had a cold. Hello, listener. And to my right, he's like... Philip Seymour Hoffman, if Philip Seymour Hoffman was more like Brett Cropley, Brett Cropley! <laughs> Good evening, viewers. I, I actually think you are the, the, the Brett Cropley's Philip Seymour Hoffman. You are sick, aren't I'm you? I'm very what? ill. I don't, I don't know what's going on anymore. I don't know who you people are. <laughs> Box Cutters is all about television. John, I'll explain can, it for I you. I can tell you why, why we're in your bedroom. That would explain things if you could. I'll uh, yeah I'll, I'll I'll explain the show to you right and then uh, maybe if you understand it the listeners will okay. also understand Go it. Ahead. Box cutters is all about television. Yeah, we record it every week. Okay, and it goes up onto the internet Ooh. every week. This is episode one hundred and seventy-seven. Okay, we've done that many of them. That's a lot. Yeah, that is a lot. Yeah, you haven't you haven't done that Not many. Not that many. No, 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 you you only came on recently. Yeah, uh, but still, you're good, and we like <laughs> that about you. And we should also about the whole television and internet thing. I've just moved house. I currently have no television and no internet. And um, I, I don't think I'm overstating this to say that in a world without internet, I think the living would envy the dead. I don't think that's an overstatement. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so either. It's uh, I dream idea- of Wikipedia. Oh, I miss Wikipedia. <laughs> the idea of, of being without the internet. You know what? Without the internet, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, John. Yeah. Without the internet, this show would not exist. That's what I mean. As far as I know, I don't do a show anymore. I used to do one when I had the internet. Now, apparently, I go to Triple R and hang out for no reason. <laughs> I don't know why I do that. Right. right. Well, other people have the internet. Oh, thank God. And they can they can listen to it. Uh, and no doubt uh, you got it either through boxcutters.net or through the iTunes Music Store. Some of the television that we'll be covering today on Box Cutters includes Cyberman creator Alexander Tynan, uh, who is uh, just wonderful. We actually re- recorded this uh, interview last week and, uh, and just... Excellent. And, She's and like the female Davros. It's very exciting. It is. It is very <laughs> exciting. She does uh, try to get people to kill us, but but they're pe- people with cybernetic implants. Like it's still cool. It's still cool. It's still cool. She's great. We've got some. I don't buy it. Some uh, listeners sent in some. I don't buy it. So we'll be covering them later on in the show. We've got some quotes. We've got a whole bunch of pork. As always, though, let's kick things off with the box cutters news. Brett Cropley. Uh, there's been a memo leaked from the Nine Network uh, confirming my uh, little whisper from a couple of weeks ago that uh, they are to launch a new afternoon news program. Uh, an email written by Network Director Mark Calvert uh, says the show entitled This Afternoon will launch in June. <laughs> And uh, uh, how do they come up with the titles? I don't know. Uh, maybe they're following that Sunday night. That's what uh, I think. Sunday night, yeah. this afternoon, news breakfast. Oh, they're great. Uh, it'll be an hour-long mix of news and current affairs, uh, airing weekdays at 4.30 p.m. 
That was the original title, weekdays at 4.30pm. <laughs> it's a bit long. A bit long. A bit long. So, so what is it now? The afternoon show with James <laughs> with Valentine. Valentine. Doing the news. More harrowing stuff in Uganda. Yeah, that'd be a great show. Um, and now here's Banana Man. <laughs> Apparently uh, this afternoon we'll have dedicated reporters uh, led by Peter Harvey. So I guess we're not going to see him on 60 Minutes anymore or uh, Sydney News. Uh, I reckon uh, I reckon you'd have a, a hard time getting Peter Harvey off television. But maybe if he's... Uh, if, I'll be on five, but, yeah, if five he's, afternoons a week. Well, then he gets to go home early. Sure. That's nice. Everyone likes that. Mm-hmm. I see Peter Harvey in my dreams. Because you don't have television. <laughs> so I just have to imagine what it would be like. Yeah. On the eight, yeah. eight and a half floor. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the digital television, which is uh, coming up uh, at some stage. Some people say 2013. Some people say uh, sooner. The it depends on where you live. says that uh, the, the entire switchover will be 2013. 2000, yeah. When which apes is, rule the world. <laughs> which has gone up from, uh, oh, what was it? 2008. It was going to be January 2008 originally. And then it was 2010. I heard originally it was going to be uh, April 1991. And uh, where that, did you that hear passed that? us well by. Where did you hear that? I, I remember from the time, I think. I believe it was June 1968, hey, but we landed on. on the moon and the whole on. thing got put back. I'm serious here. You're, you're making stuff up? Yes. Right. <laughs> okay. Just uh, let's clarify. Because I'm not well. November, John's not well. November 23rd, 1963, and then Kennedy gets assassinated. The whole, the whole thing, thing gets delayed. Uh, that was when you were born, wasn't it? No. Uh, uh, <laughs> what, are you trying to imply that I'm the reincarnation of John F. Kennedy? Stop implying no, that. No, I don't know why you keep trying to imply. I am the reincarnation of Johnny Kennedy. I was, I was born ten years after that. Well, nine. <laughs> but you know. Uh, yeah. Well, if you could just be quiet, get back and to sure. the left, okay. and uh, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll continue on. So, digital television switchover. Uh, the the uh, Australian government has just launched a huge campaign. They have six point seven million dollar campaign called "Get Ready for Digital Television." <laughs> But wasn't that uh, what Freeview was just, just we, at get we ready are, for digital? We are the world's most literal country. It's just the, it's the literalism is, is starting to just astound me. I, it's a campaign about getting ready for digital television. What will we call it? I can't come up with anything. What, what about, what about uh, digital television? It's coming! Yeah, or insert title here, which they went with for quite a while. Oh, that's why it didn't... It didn't well, that was a $3 million campaign, and now, <laughs> now they've... Uh, They've launched a $6.7 million campaign. Uh, and how, how do I get ready for digital television? Well, what am I meant to do? Well, apparently, <laughs> apparently you have to... I saw the ad today. I saw the ad today while I was at the gym. Mm-hmm. and uh, So I didn't hear it, but I saw it. And apparently you have to take your family to a, a shop that sells televisions <laughs> and, uh, and buy a set-top box, but you look for stickers. So they've got a whole bunch of stickers that don't say Freeview, but do say digital television ready or they'll say digital tv high definition or digital tv standard definition because the idea of just having one sticker to make it easy for people not enough and if anyone should die in your fallout room cover them in cloth or polythene bags if they're still there after five days move (laughs) 
So that's protect and survive, isn't it? That's, that's slightly different. So from the uh, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Uh, the same, the same thing was sampled. So I, I spent some time watching you know, nuclear survival educational <laughs> films recently, and it just sounded a bit too much like that. See, so, so get ready for get, digital television. Get ready for digital television. <laughs> it's coming, and you will be left behind, mm. and you will be like John without television. But uh, apparently, uh, former ABC broadcaster Neil Innell, this is a, according to the Sydney Morning Herald, Spent a thousand dollars on a new set-top box mm-hmm. and aerial last year, so that he could watch ABC Two. He says that uh, he he lives on a ridge, so he lives in Roseville, on a ridge, and that's the reason he can get all the digital signals except for ABC Two. That makes no sense. That, that, that doesn't. Would, that doesn't make it any would be sense. coming from exactly the same point as ABC One. You'd think so. Yeah. It would have to be. Or is it sneaky? Does ABC2 digital signal creep up from behind you? Or oh, something? surely it wouldn't be coming off another multiplex. They should all come the same way, shouldn't they? He says... Uh, he's I had think $1,000 sounds a lot too. Where the hell was he shopping? It's, uh, oh, the, uh, the, the uh, Roseville the aerial and set-top box <laughs> shot. Uh, the, uh, he, he also says that he had about five visits from technicians... And uh, he could see how the hiccups could be a disincentive for people to make the switch. Mm. Uh, I'm guessing he just doesn't know how to program his his television. You know what would uh, fix his situation? What? If he uh, moved out of Sydney. Right. Is is Roseville in Sydney? Well, uh, I'm figuring it is. I don't know. Let's find out. I'm sure there's something on the internet that can tell us. Anyway, you were going to say if he moved out of Sydney and... Because Sydney's just a, a geographically terrible place to have a city. So uh, if, if everybody moved out of there, they'd all be much better off. Uh, but but you know, Sydney is a very hilly place. Mm, mm, and watery place. Yeah, water wouldn't make it that much more and, difficult and for, for signals to get through. <laughs> but the hills would. I'm just giving him a, a tip for a happy life. Okay. Leave Sydney. <laughs> okay. Do, do you have? Does anyone have more news? And I'm sure he'll get a, a better reception of ABC too. Okay. In completely unrelated news, um, I've got part one of this story. And Brett has part two. Uh, Dollhouse, which you'll remember um, we reviewed to tepid response um, a little while back. Although uh, all the reviews just said has picked up in the last in the last half of the series. I, I'm really enjoying it. Okay. Which so I will go back eventually and watch it. Um, there, uh, it actually exploded on Twitter. Curious enough, bringing us information <laughs> for a change. Um, Felicia Day and Doctor Horrible sort of um, news coming through their Twitter feeds were that Fox would not be airing the thirteenth and final episode of the first series of Dollhouse. Um, the twelfth episode called Omega, written by Tim Minear, will air on May fifteenth. But the thirteenth episode, titled Epitaph One, uh, directed by Whedon and written by jo- Jed Whedon and Marissa. Uh, Tenterone, um will only be showing up on the DVD release. And people worry this meant the show has been cancelled. Now, it turns out there's, there's a lot of very odd bits and pieces. The show hasn't been, well, it hasn't been renewed, but it hasn't been cancelled as yet. The I don't say it like that. Well, yes. <laughs> but didn't we say that episode two? Oh, not cancelled yet. Um, the, the, the series itself does, re- everything gets resolved at episode 12. And the 13th episode is meant to be a tonal departure, which we have seen before in Whedon Productions. Um, but in the series, the Fox Network counts the original scrapped pilot as one of the 13 episodes in its 13 episode order. So as far as they're concerned, they've paid for 13 episodes and they're just playing the 12 that they got for their money. Um, so there's no contractual 
obligation. And Brett, I think you had a bit more information from Tim Maneer about what the 13th episode is. Yes, uh, Tim Maneer did blog about this uh, saying, okay, so maybe I can help clarify this somewhat because we scrapped the original pilots and in fact cannibalised some of its parts for other reps. We really ended up with 12 episodes but the studio makes DVD and other deals based on the original 13 number. Uh, So they created a standalone kind of coda episode uh, which is the mythical new episode 13 Right, so, so, it's, so it's an episode, episode that doesn't actually exist. It only exists for the DVD to make the numbers up. So Fox yeah. said, we paid for 13, we're not paying you for a 14th episode, even though we're only showing 12, but the DVD needs to have 13 on it. I actually think not a bad thing, in a way. It makes the DVD release more appealing anyway, to have a special kind of bonus thing. And we were saying before, Whedon's done this before with uh, Buffy, I think it was Series 4, off the top of my head, where um, the... The, the, the whole thing got, uh, resolved in episode 21 with the big villain and the big bad and everything. Yep. But then episode 22, you had a, a lovely standalone piece with the four characters uh, going into a, a dream. Combined dream. State. I, th- I think it was the episode's called Primeval. I've my head again. Yeah, well, it was, uh, th- it was that episode that was, uh, w- th- that was about the first, uh, the first Slayer. And, uh, and, and, and yeah, and you and could, was, you, yeah, four dreams interwoven and a man wearing cheese. And you could leave it off the end of the series, but it's also a really lovely kind of. Grace note. Yeah, it was it, it was great. And Tim Maneer, uh also, who, who does have a large hand to play in, in Dollhouse, uh, also uh, co-creator of the excellent Wonderfalls. Oh, I loved Wonderfalls. Except a grace note comes before, just before the note. Yeah, I knew you'd rather yeah, thanks. Yeah. Thanks, you could have let it lie. From a musical perspective. You could have let it lie. Uh, I, the minute I said it, I knew. It's like, da-da, da-da <laughs> is the grace note. And that duh is the note note. So hang on, duh, duh is a grace note and duh is a... So if you, if you play it like that, if you, if you kind of almost... It almost sounds, if, you, if you're playing a, a wind-powered instrument, it almost sounds like... Like you like are you, right now. You've, uh, you've hit the wrong note and you've gone quickly up to the right note. I listen to Voxcatters because it's educational. Like we've learned about grace notes and we know that Sydney is hilly and has water. Yeah, Rose Hill. And, and and everybody's being a fool to themselves and a burden to others by living there. Rose Rose Hill, by the way, is near Parramatta in Sydney. Not that I want to, so, you know, start just... anything. <laughs> Brett, do you have any more news? Hell yeah! Um, uh, Telstra uh, could be forced to sell its stake in Foxtel under a regulatory regime, likely to be introduced as the new national broadband network is built which will be over the next uh, eight years. It's uh, the government-funded, they're talking about fibre-to-the-home system of broadband. Um, The measures are canvassed in a discussion paper that was made public over the week um, and uh, is basically, has basically come about because Telstra just wouldn't uh, seriously participate in in, uh, tendering to make the new uh, national broadband network. I love the idea that in... Uh, in in eight years, will only be ten years behind Korea <laughs> in uh, in internet technology. Yeah, live the and, dream. Yeah, totally. Uh, so, uh, so Telstra going out on their own. Are they going to be doing uh, IPTV uh, anytime soon? Is there any? No, any- no, Telstra aren't doing anything. They're not doing anything. No, no. And in fact, uh, there's there's a lot of talk uh, around that. And while it's not strictly television, is Telstra. Um, there is some talk about uh, about the company essentially being split up, which is pretty much how it should have been sold in the first place. It, it, there should have been a, a distinction between the wholesale and the retail businesses, and uh, the infrastructure should have been probably maintained by a government uh, organ. Um, you know, sell the sell the profit making. Uh, part of it on the stock exchange and, and 
get it from there. But you know, this is uh, this this has been another episode of if Brett Cropley ran things. <laughs> uh, Current TV, which is the uh, American network that is uh, spearheaded by uh, former U.S. Vice President Al Gore and uh, allows users to create content, have that content voted on on the internet and then put on air on this uh, cable channel, uh, has cancelled the $100 million IPO that it had originally announced last January. Sorry, when I say last January, I mean January 2008. Clearly, we're in 2009. Uh, apparently, the, uh, the cancellation is just because of the Geelong Football Club. So when you say IPO, what is that again? Uh, initial public offering. And just to clarify, uh, GFC in that context is actually the global financial crisis, not the Geelong Football Club. Oh, right. Uh, They've got a lot of power, that Geelong Geelong Football Club. Club, They really do. They're everywhere. They really do. Uh, So, yes, uh, apparently uh, in light of current market conditions, uh, the registrant determined not to go ahead with the public offering. uh, And... Yeah, it remains to be seen what uh, what the future is for current TV, but they have just been hiring some people and they do have a lot of backing and I think it's a, a great way of, of bringing the internet and uh, television and user-created content uh, together. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Oh, apparently they were hit by layoffs in November, even though I know that they've just hired... It's interesting. Hmm. Speaking interesting. of layoffs... Uh, Fox TV in the US is uh, looking to take some troubled small businesses and uh, let their employees decide which one of their colleagues would be laid off and turning the results into a reality TV show. No. Uh, it's uh, it, it's to be uh, screened under the title, Someone's Gotta Go. This is the most repulsive idea that I think I've but ever seen that someone for, a, saw for a reality TV yeah. show. So yeah. someone, Glengarry Glenn Ross and went, that'd be great as a reality TV show. That's, that, I mean, it, it, yeah, this is bizarre. I, I, like, I read this story, like, two or three different places, and, and every time it's just horrific. There's no good. I, I, I seriously can't say anymore because I'm just going to... Gonna lose it and someone, start someone pointed out it's like taking the apprentice, but rather than going, you get that's, to have an amazing job at the end. You actually get to keep the crap job you currently have. That's that's the only thing going for that show. Yeah, that's mm. that's really terrible. Mm. Really a, terrible. Another show one might care to watch on Fox, of course, is The Simpsons, which I believe is on every three and a half minutes. And <laughs> The Simpsons are now coming out as a series of stamps. This is from CNN, um, you, the US Postal well, Service. One episode per stamp? One episode per stamp. Um, the first stamps, so, so like video stamps? The first stamps will be really good, That'd but they'll awesome. get quite repetitive after a while, and everyone will get disappointed by the stamps towards the end. <laughs> um, the US Postal Service... Well, the, the first ones they release, they'll, they'll be talking strangely. <laughs> they, they'll, they'll look a bit badly drawn. What, what, yeah. what I'd like is, is that uh, in a couple of years' time, There'll be a whole lot of stamps that I've already seen, but I'll still look at them. Yeah, and just because over and over. there are no other stamps to look at. Channel 10 will just post your things entirely with those stamps on them over and over again. The US Postal Service is putting out five first class stamps, because there's a class structure apparently, featuring um, Homer, Marge, Bart, Lisa, and Maggie. They'll be in post offices in America from May 7th. This is the biggest and most adhesive honour the Simpsons has ever received, said <laughs> Matt Groening. Um, and producer James L. Brooks said, We are emotionally moved 
moved by the Postal Service selecting us rather than making the lazy choice of someone who has benefited society. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the, there were 50,000 stamp suggestions submitted last year to the Postal Service, and this was selected as one of them. The new stamps can be seen and pre-ordered at USPS.com. The, uh, the, the first-class stamps uh, in America, they do have two classes of, of mail like they do in the UK. One mm. where you can pretty much be sure that your letter might get there and uh, and the other one where it really does just end up at Newman's that? house from, what, the, yeah, from why Seinfeld. offer a second class? It's like going, ah, we're not convinced. You know, it's, it's a weird thing Well, yeah, I, I, I sent something uh, to someone else when I was in the States, to someone in the States, and I had the opportunity of uh, sending it regular post which might get there within a week. Now, this is... I was in San Francisco and I was sending it uh, to to a town an hour away from San Francisco. But America has a centralised sorting system. Right. I can bore you for ages on the American so Postal it, <laughs> it might get there in a week. Or I could pay $15 and uh, be assured of it getting there by midday the next day, guaranteed with online tracking available. Right. Uh so I went the, the yeah I went, I went that option because I don't want my things sitting around for days. That's no, just dumb. Because we don't have class system in Australia, we're egalitarian society, so all stamps are equal. <laughs> um, we, we did have a series of TV stamps released in Australia a few years back. We did a uh, children's television celebration, and you could get a Mr. Squiggle stamp, which is very exciting. And there was also a uh, fifty years of uh, television stamp. Uh, oh, ser- series of stamps that included Graham Kennedy and I think Kingswood Country. And I know and, in the UK, Dalek has appeared in the stamp, but I guess part of the Millennium series. Oh, um, photographed nice. by Lord Snowden. Looking very nice. That, mm. that, that is nice. Uh, John Safran. Mm. Uh, you know, often referred to in press circles as Enfant Terrible. John yeah, Safran. And he's around about our age, and I, I think that that's well beyond <laughs> Enfant. The on uh, gone. Yeah, I, I think when uh, I think uh, opera director Barry Kosky still gets called Wunderkind, so uh, you know, and he's pushing fifty now. So I, I think uh, I think as people get older, they just think of us as still kids. We're still kids, right? Still kids. I mean, you're not. You're ancient, but John and I, still kids. I think I'm the youngest one here. Aren't no, I'm pretty sure. No, only only if younger meant several years older. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, that's the way that works. Anyway, anyway John, Safran. John Safran is in the Philippines uh, near Manila, where he has taken part in a an annual Good Friday ritual, where people volunteer to be nailed to a cross, crucified, basically. That's what they call it. Oh, is that what they call mm-hmm. it? Yep. Is yep. that what the kids are calling it these days? <laughs> that's what they called it two thousand Cru- years ago. Crucifixion, crucifixion. It's hip with all the kids. I'm Spartacus. <laughs> Well, yeah. So, so uh, Saffron's gone and uh, and done it for the new show that he's working on for ABC Television, uh, which is uh, John Saffron's race relations. That's right. Yep. He's, he's looking into uh, the the way race divides and brings people together. So, how does getting nailed to a cross actually explore that? I'm well, sure we'll find racial, out during the show. Racial differences around the world, including the religious uh, effects okay. in in each of those, and uh, and the Philippines are, are very Catholic. Uh, now, can, can I ask? We, there was some talk. This actually involves a nail going through yes. the yes. hands. Yes. A yes. genuine. He was left up for about five minutes. Uh, from memory, from reading the article today, yes, uh, left allowed to hang for five minutes, and uh, then taken down and rushed by men dressed as centurions to a medical tent for treatment. 
So, uh, so he was he he volunteered under the name John Michael from Melbourne. John Michael of Melbourne, and uh, and then appeared wearing a long head wig and a makeshift crown of thorns. And also, uh, what it, it was basically kind of a, a golden cardboard thing, looking like a crown. There weren't there wasn't really any thorns in it, but there was kind of like a halo type thing coming out of the top of it. And also in, in, in awesome the picture in, in the uh, Sunday Edge today. Uh, and but you can also see that his wrists are bound to the cross as well. So while he's, there's a bit of uh, rhythm ribbon that's uh, holding him up, and also around his uh, torso. So so he is being held there. Uh, so the nails are largely ornamental so he's not he's not being hung yeah. by the nails in his hands but, but he they does are have a half inch nail going through his palm going through right. his palm into yeah. uh yeah into the wood yeah um, I, i'm still having i'm having a whole why issue about this well, on, on several levels but Seferin's uh, partner in crime as it were father bob Maguire, uh said that uh it wasn't a uh it, it wasn't a disrespectful thing, but it was that uh, Seferin would have volunteered to be nailed to the cross in an effort to get a forensic insight into religious practices. Yeah, hence yes. the hilarious wig and crown. My, uh, my, my answer to John is, I'm sure that will be explained in the show. <laughs> I'm sure. Father Bob told AAP he would not have done it contemptuously. For him, religious, religion is the heart of the cosmos. And remember, kids, don't try it at home. And that is the Box Cutters News. Hi, I'm really lucky to be the guest of these funny, gorgeous, sexy, hunky men. This is Jane Badler. You're listening to Box Cutters. Every single week. Every week. Our guest this week on Box Cutters is the very talented costume designer, uh, uh, costume designer and art director, or just, no, just costume, costume designer. I'm getting nods, nods from the other side of the studio. Uh, who has worked with uh, BBC, uh, ABC here, uh, a number of uh, of different uh, uh, Australian and English productions, and also, as John will never let us forget, it's the woman who created the Cybermen from Doctor Who. Welcome, Alexandra Tynan. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Now, I, I wanted to just point this out, that when... when yeah, we sent you the email to ask you if you'd be able to come on. You came back very quickly with, with first you said, how did you get this email address? And then secondly, <laughs> <laughs> I swear it's in there. And you said, it's those wretched Cybermen, isn't it? Now, is this, is this something that kind of, is this the albatross around your neck? Yes, I think, I think they might be. They, they've got a nasty habit of catching up with me every now and again. Just when I think I might have got rid of them. And I thought I'd got rid of them back in 19... 19- 64 or 65, whenever it was that we were kind of associated. <laughs> and, and I thought I'd finished with them forever. And then they sort of found me again. And they keep finding me and dragging me to different places. And yes. That, that's amazing because Doctor Who has exactly the same problem. He thinks he's rid of them. <laughs> and then suddenly they just appear from nowhere. Yes. And they move very slowly but always catch up with him. They do, yes. And then, of course, as you know, they fight the Daleks on a regular basis. Well, yeah, no friends. They're no friends. No, not friends, no. Yeah, it's interesting. These days, if you're working on, I mean, actually, the, the new Doctor Who, presumably, it would have special uh, creature manufacturers. Yeah, there'd be people who mm. their job would be to, to make monsters. They'd be sort yes. of, yeah, that's their gig. Yes. Back in, in the mid-60s when mm. you were at the BBC, now, you were, you were presumably just a, um, you're a costume designer on, 
on contract at the BBC. Well, I was on staff, actually, at the BBC. Mm-hmm. So that meant that you, you did whatever you were told to do, be it, um, well, science fiction, ordinary drama, light entertainment, children's programmes, quiz programmes, all sorts of things. Um, and I shared an office with Daphne Dare, who was one of the original designers for quite a long time on the early Doctor Who's. And I used to hear various phone calls and reported discussions, and I used to say, oh, I would not ever want to walk on, work on that programme, you know, rather you than me. <laughs> and then, because it was a BBC and because I was on staff, the lady who organised the rosters for the whole department walked into the office one day and said, Daphne, I'm taking you off Doctor Who and I'm putting Sandra on. <laughs> that was the worst thing I'd ever heard <laughs> because I hated, at that time, I hated science fiction. I mean, I'm a complete convert now. But in those days, I just thought, oh, I don't want to know about this. And so would they walk in and go, we need, here's a script, we need robot monsters you've got 50 quid I mean how did it well the 50 quid's not far wrong I mean I didn't have very much money at all and they were a sort of bit of a trial of Cybermen I I don't mean a trial in the sense that they were a nuisance but I mean they were they were being tried out shall we say just to see how they would go and the man whose idea they were was he was a a doctor called um, Kit Peddler he was a medical man and he was interested in the whole idea of the early idea of cybernetics where bits of you know body parts were replaced with with bits of machinery or whatever which nowadays of course is quite a common thing but back in the early 60s this was a kind of quite a new concept so i had to meet him and chat to him and he explained what the whole thing was about and what the idea of the cyber what was you know behind the cybermen that in fact they were really humans who'd kind of got it wrong and gone off and did bad things. And they were trying to convert themselves, to lose their human emotions and become much more bland in some respects and in others quite quite tiresome people. <laughs> so this was quite an extensive design brief then. You actually talked... Because I assumed you'd just be given a script or even an outline. No, no, there was quite a discussion about it um, beforehand because the Daleks were already entrenched in the series and everybody knew who they were. But this was a completely new, you know, um, departure. And uh, and it just so happened that, that they worked in that first series. And so there was very quickly a bit more money found to do another series with them in, and I got a bit more money to play around and do something now, bigger. Unlike the Daleks, I was going to say that the Cybermen actually were redesigned, and still are to this day, I think, redesigned virtually every time they show up. And the I, Daleks had at least five different versions. I mean, this, they, is, this was the same they, point I was going to They changed colour, you know. And, oh, and, 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 and slight, you know, slightly changed shape. But the, a but different yes, whisk. The, but Cybermen, yeah. the Cybermen did change considerably. They changed they quite a bit. Now, well, you, you did the first and I was going to bring in some photographs so we could just sort of ask you about it but I found something better from oh. the magic of eBay now for those not watching oh, the God. video podcast <laughs> now can I, I, I want to point out here that uh, if I had uh, had been a little bit more prepared and less jet lagged I would have uh, uh, gone to uh, to uh, my parents house where I still have the Doctor Who technical manual <laughs> <laughs> so we could have the technical uh, technical diagrams well, of the different Cybermen so yeah rather bring in photos from eBay I managed to find these now I actually have here this is an, an oh. action figure of 
Alexandra's original design. This is a Cyberman from the first Cyber story. This cost me a stupid amount of money. Now, I'm assuming that you didn't, you don't actually get a penny from any I of... didn't get a penny. No, I don't get a penny. And that's a much better one than the one I've got. <laughs> <laughs> I bought one in the BBC shop in London, and I'm sure it's, it's still in its packaging because my son said, don't take it out of the package, Mum, and sign it, and you'll make a fortune. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be flogging your merchandise. But they, look, these, these are apparently the first... These, this is that your first design Cyberman. This is the... That's the second one. The second one you did. Yes. So just give wow. us a quick overview of, of... I mean, how do you approach this gig? What was your... Especially because the, the very first Cybermen are known for having... Um, they've got real human hands on them, which I always thought was just cheap, but I think was actually a design <laughs> choice. <laughs> do you want the real story? <laughs> give me both. It was because I forgot to get something <laughs> <for them>. <laughs> <laughs> And the makeup lady on the first day of filming came roaring into the into the, the, the wardrobe and said, what are they wearing on their hands? And I thought, oh, dear. Um, I forgot about that. And I said, well, perhaps we could just make, make them up, which was really ridiculous because <laughs> it was in black and white <laughs> anyway. And if she coloured their hands to match their suits, which sort of a slightly silvery colour, um, you wouldn't be able to, you know, it wouldn't look any different from flesh colour. So my argument was, well, you know, they haven't got round to sort of changing their hands. It's still <laughs> a bit of their, their humanoid, you know, their original, their origins, rather. It's the last thing you yeah, do, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's the last thing, because they're very, they're very useful. And they, they needed them to sort of twiddle the, those things on their chests, you know, they look a bit like accordion, piano accordions. Yeah. Anyway, that's sort of the story. So, but but what's the, what's the thought process that you go through to create a brand new creature? Or, uh, you know, I'm guessing if you're working on Doctor Who, then you're also in charge of the Doctor's companions' clothes and uh, and the Doctor's clothes. Everything. And uh, mm. so, so when when you're going through the process of you've got a new brief, how do you go about it? That's a very difficult question because I've been asked this before, and people. You know, at, at, at science fiction conventions, think that you went through this great kind of thing where you sort of, you know, struck your forehead and tried to get all kind of intense about it. I think I just had to put something on a piece of paper for a meeting and I had about an hour to do it in. And I sat there at the desk thinking, what on earth am I going to do? And I haven't got very much money to do it. And I, I put them in... In those days, there was very little... Sort of, inter- there were very little interest, very few interesting fabrics around to use. So they had a kind of base suit of a, I think it was a pale blue sort of jersey, and then they had this plastic overlay, um, like a separate layer, um, which worked very well as a slimming suit when they were wearing it <laughs> because they sweated profusely. <clears throat> and in those days, I was very young and I didn't really think through the, the comfort zone of these poor guys that were going to have to wear these things. Well, they should um, have thought about that before they started changing their bodies, really. Well, they should have, shouldn't yeah. they? And, you know, if you're going to be a Cyberman, you've got to do it. Foolish Cyberman. Yeah, they should have been telling me what to do. So what was the thought with, because I mean, the absolute mm-hmm. strongest element of, of the design, the one thing that has never gone away is, is the handle on the head. Basically, yes. Cybermen have these, these handles, which makes them you know, easy to store. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> what, what, what was the thought behind that? Because that's the one thing that no one has ever you know, removed. Well, I don't, I don't. So long ago. I mean, I suppose I talked to um, the guy who made 
the helmets and we sort of came up with ideas and and it was suggested by somebody I think that there was some kind of a light on their head that they you know could switch on and off where they could see where they were going um, and of course you have to have a kind of you have to have wires running from that supposedly um, and um, and I suppose it just sort of Maybe it looked right. I mean, I really don't remember what I was thinking when I did it, to be quite honest, because I didn't want to do it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) um, But, you know, when I look back on it now and I think maybe that was quite a good thing because I didn't get trapped into anything, any ideas, any preconceived ideas. And, of course, fortunately, there weren't things like Star Wars and, you know, all those kind of things Mm -hmm. to, to influence me. Um, and so I really had to come up with something a bit a bit different, and I had to just keep thinking I've only got a few quid to spend on these things, and I can't, you know, go make it too silly. Also, television at the time was obviously intended for one screening only. It was ephemeral. The the show itself was just for a kid's audience. There was no there was no thought ever that that this program was going to you know take on the amazing sort of history and success. You don't don't know those things. It's a gamble. So when you came to do the first redesign, which is mm. this other action figure we have here, yeah. um, this is the one that's, that's much more uh, the template, I think, for what came afterwards. Yes, it's a bit more streamlined. So you, you now had money, and you'd had the, the go at that point, because that must be an odd thing for a designer to kind of get that second, a second go at the idea. Mm. Like, do you remember kind of going, that didn't work or that worked? Was there any thought there? Um, well, I think I, w- I wanted to simplify it a bit. I wanted to make it easier for them to get in and out of the, the clothes. And, in fact, there was a dirty great zip up the, the centre back. Um, but by that stage, a new um, fabric had come out, and it was, it was a vinyl with a jersey backing on it. Mm-hmm. And it was quite often used in 19, early 1960s furniture, you know, to cover bar stools and, you know, all that kind of thing. Bean bags. Bean, yeah, bean bags. Um, but it was quite new, and then I wanted to run the tubing that I'd used on the first one down the arms. Really, was very flimsy and didn't work very well, um, and I needed something more, a bit more rigid. So I used vacuum cleaner tubing, which I had to order from some factory in the Midlands, and the first lot got lost somewhere on British Rail. So we had to quickly <laughs> get another bit, and then I had to come up with something to, to look a bit like joints, and those were practice golf balls oh the uh, the the uh, on the elbow and the, the wrist and on the shoulder the, the hollow things yeah, with the those, holes in yes, them practice golf which were sprayed silver these days everything we've all be kind of mm-hmm. you know designed and vacuum formed and molded and made yeah. specifically it actually sounds like it was it was much more creative to to have those restrictions on what you can well do. yes it probably it probably was and the um i think it was the bbc props department did the the what i always call the piano accordions on the front um, and then the helmets, they were, we talked those through and the man who made the original helmets, um, whose name I had in my head a minute ago and has gone now, um, he, he and I sort of talked a few ideas through and he came up with suggestions that were good about how the, how the whole thing should open up to get it off on and off easily. Um, and to get the poor guys out of these things quickly if they, you know, were feeling a bit faint. So with, uh, uh, when creating a, a costume like this, then somebody goes through and over the years says, uh, okay, well, this this part of the Cyberman 
has this particular function. So all, all you're doing is is designing what you think is going to work well, be usable on 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 the show, and somebody else goes through and, and makes up a whole mythology around it, or or do you do that as you go? Uh, well, I I mean I really liked some of the later designs done by other designers, and I think I think it's about the fourth one. Have, have you got one of those, John? I've, which I've, is, got, I've got one more. I've got that one, which is not one of yours, but a later no, one. That's, that's, that's a Tom Baker mm, uh, yeah, Cyberman. There's, there's one after the one after that, mm-hmm. which has got all sorts of wires and things running through the surface of it. Um, on the body, I think it's a super design. I really think it's the best design of them all. I'm quite curious to hear, we mentioned fabric before, and I've seen some interviews with, uh, I think it's June Hudson, who was another designer around that time, and she talked about the excitement of fabric. And am I right in thinking that in the 60s was a time in which you guys would be endlessly scouring for new types of fabrics and new types of... There there just wasn't the, the sort of stuff to play around with it started to get better late 60s early 70s and there were a lot more things i mean some of these really super fabrics which um when i've been working in england recently a lot of them come from germany and switzerland i mean they're absolutely fantastic um and some of them have lights running through them and you know all sorts of fabulous things and um it would be an absolute joy i mean you'd be spoiled for choice now to, to, to find interesting things, whereas we had hardly anything to work with at all. So I, I'm amazed that uh, as, a, mm. as a young costume designer, the idea of working for a science fiction show was in some ways abhorrent to you. Mm. Uh, b- because I, I would have thought that uh, being a creative person, as you are, we, we spoke uh, b- before the interview that you yeah. had a choice of music or, or art, and yes. you went with art because it was easier. And... <laughs> Uh, the, uh, the the idea then that uh, something that could be uh, challenging and and a lot more creative than just another bloody frock for Henry VIII. Oh no, it wasn't that. I mean, I, I was I was excited by it, but because of the the speed at which we had to do it, um, I mean, it really it, there wasn't much time to prepare these things, and you didn't have a chance to. Like in theatre, you can you have lots of fittings. You've got an opportunity to test things out, make sure that the actors are going to be able to move or the singers are going to be able to do this, that and the other. Whereas with this, there was one fitting and that was it. Mm. And, and it was done very quickly. Um, so, the, of course, there was an element of... I did, I did get interested in it, and the more I did it... I mean, the most exciting day for me on the whole time I worked on Doctor Who was when we were filming at Ealing on the Tomb of the Cybermen. Mm-hmm. And there's the most fantastic scene in that where they've all been in deep freeze and they come out of this kind of, like a honeycomb almost, of these these things where they've been and they break through this plastic s- skin on the outside of it and they come out. And it was so riveting and so spooky and they could only do it once they could only they couldn't do any retakes on it, and it was absolutely super. And and that you can still see that because they found those old episodes, and and even now looking at it, I think, gosh, that really did work. It really looked very frightening and very 
scary. And I'm really pleased in retrospect that I had the opportunity to work on that. But the feeling with the, mm. the BBC in the 60s, it looks, I mean, from, from this perspective, it looks like it was, was like, almost like working in one of the, the Hollywood studios in the 30s. It, it appeared to be that you were churning us through shows and material. And The BBC in the 60s was a marvellous place to work, BBC television, because there, was a lot of, there were a lot of new script writers, there were a lot of new directors and producers full of ideas and they were being given carte blanche almost to go ahead. It was before the days where they said, oh, we can't do that because we can't afford it. Um, and it was terribly exciting. And a lot of the people who were there when I, I went in um, became very, very famous indeed um, and are still you know, around, a lot of them. But they became almost icons of television drama, you know, script writing, all that sort of thing. So it was a marvellous, marvellous time to be there. Also incredibly young, it seems, from, the, from that period. Everyone in the BBC, you know, producers, directors, everyone seemed to be very young. Yes, there were, I mean, there were older people there too. It wasn't just, you know, kindergarten time. But <laughs> <laughs> I think it was... With BBC Two opening up at that time, just because that, that's why I got a job there, because they were enlarging the design areas too. And so, so hang on, mm. a, a television company that was actually employing more people. <laughs> it's getting yes. larger. Wow. Yes. It's, it's, yes. I, I've never heard of such a thing. <laughs> BBC One became BBC One and BBC Two. And then colour came in while I was there in the 60s too. We had to, we went through a whole training program for color. Did that actually? I wanted to ask you that because mm-hmm. everyone now is freaking out about HD, going, "Oh, we're going to have to build new sorts of sets and costumes," and and I'm never quite convinced. What, what was the difference like then from working with black and white to color? Well, you had to think tonally, and I've looked back on some of the stuff that I did, and I think, "Whoops, you didn't think that one through too well. It's all too it's too much mid grey tones. There's not not enough." Um, sort of difference in the tonal look of it but you did have to think very much in shades of grey black through to white um, and so you couldn't get excited about colours any time and it was such a shame because sometimes it just looked so stunning in the studio and then when it came up and dreary all black and white you thought oh dear you know but then it wasn't much of a change surely from your design point of view when colour came in you weren't suddenly doing things differently oh well the cameras in those days weren't as clever as they are today so there were few colours that weren't going to work all that well we all had to go through a training program and had to do a little at least the costume designers had to do a little sort of test piece um, to make sure that we knew what we were doing and you know how it was going to look and all that sort of thing, um, and not just the costume designers, I mean the set designers, everybody had to go through all that, the technicians. Um, but again, that was a great experience. And I, when I look back on those years that I was there, I just think I was so privileged, you know. And I was only what twenty three when I first went there, and then I fled to Australia in nineteen sixty eight. So, I mean, it was just, it was wonderful. But you, you also worked on, uh, on one of my favourite uh, sketch comedy shows of all time, The Dave Allen Show. Yes. Uh, when, you're working mm. on, when you were working on sketch comedy then, which, uh, again, was fairly young as a, as a format. Mm. Uh, Dave Allen was uh, really early as far mm. as television sketch comedy goes. Uh, and I'm guessing, again, you've got a, a very short turnaround time but a lot more ideas because, sure, there's the 
the sketch where he's the priest. But then there are all these other sketches that, that come along and you just need to come up with costumes straight away. There was very little time to get things and we hired all the costumes from, you know, costumiers. Okay. From costume houses because this, quite often the scripts were done in advance. Sometimes there were changes at the last minute. And so you had to get on the phone to the costume house and say, can you send me blah, 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 to, you know, for this for sketch? Can I have it by tonight? Um, and because I also worked with Val Dunican, who I, not many listeners will know about, mm. but he was an Irish ballad singer who was a great friend of Dave Allen's. And um, his claim to fame, apart from having a very good voice, a bit like Bing Crosby kind of thing, you know, he wore a, a, a great series of glamorous sweaters. You know, he was into knitwear in a big way. <laughs> so... <laughs> Pre-Kuji. Everybody, you make that sound sinister. <laughs> you sit, sit in a rocking chair and sing and wear smart sweaters from Italy, you know, that sort of thing. But no, Dave Allen was great and he was, he was very... And because I came from Northern Ireland and he and Val came from Southern Ireland, they used to, you know, rubbish me all the time. It was great fun. You also talked about sketch comedy. You went to Australia, you're standing in it. And yes. we had, we had Ro Quantock yes. in a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yes, yes. And was it a lovely guest? I'm wondering, was that more challenging? Because I would have thought there might be some yeah. very odd things they would have needed for that show I suppose looking back on it now they don't seem so odd but probably then yes um, I really enjoyed that that was great fun there were great people to work with and uh, it was very creative and and uh, a lot of the stuff we, we had time to make for that so it was it was good yeah well and and I think uh, with Australia standing in it there were because the the characters were uh, were very much stereotypical mm. uh you would have had to come up with costumes that embodied that stereotype. So I'm, I'm thinking particularly of Tim and Debbie. Yes. And uh, uh, was that uh, just a, a matter of, of trying to find the the very essence of what that character was? I mean, we used to talk a lot about about it, and the director John Eastway also had ideas about you know how he wanted things to be. So there was it was very much a kind of a mixture of of the artists, the director and myself. But then that, that happens in drama and everything. You just can't go in as a costume designer and say, here's a picture, I've read the script, here's a picture of what that person's going to wear, here's a drawing, and saying to the actor, this is what you're going to wear. You, that's the last way of, of handling it because you'll immediately lose contact with them. So you have, first of all, you have conversations with perhaps the writer if you're lucky to find out what he or she thinks, then the director, and find out how he or she's thinking. <clears throat> and then I always got in touch with the actors and talked to them one on a one-to-one basis to hear what, what they felt, because if I was going to put them in something that wasn't going to extend that character that they were playing, they weren't going to be happy with the costume or with me. So, so the costume, in fact, is an extension of a character. And when the actor puts it on or the singer puts it on, they have to be able to forget about that costume completely. And did you find that you were mm-hmm. uh, ostracised in the industry because you took other people's desires into consideration? <laughs> No, that's no, not at all. Because <laughs> no, not a bit. That's that's the way that you you should really work. Um, oh, of course, yes, just, yes. <laughs> it's, it's rare. Is uh, all I'm saying. The uh, uh, so when that happens, uh, speaking to the actors particularly, th- there was a story about Jack Nicholson 
on uh, the, the set of the first Batman film mm. where uh, he said to the costume designer, uh, everything I wear must be made out of cashmere. That's the, uh, the, the, that's the story as I heard it. Mm-hmm. Have you had any odd requests from, from actors about materials that are allowed to touch their skin? There are quite a few people who can't wear wool next to skin, but but now because there are more and more people sensitive to things like wool, mm. um, I I would always ask them first of all the two two things I'll ask: Are there any fabrics that you can't wear? Is there any colour you won't wear? Because most actors won't wear green because it's a superstitious colour. Mm. Um, the uh, John is the, the colour that Macbeth wore. Oh, yeah. right, yeah. No, I've never the heard Scottish that. The Scottish play. I've never heard that before. Is that yeah, green? That is a... Green, yes, quite right, yes. So um, you always check with them um, what is there a colour they will not, not wear. Now, colour is very important because it helps to build a character in the eyes of the viewer. And you can set a mood, um, a set designer can set a mood in a room or wherever by the colours he or she uses. But I can set the same thing. I can give a message, a visual message, directly to the viewer but by the use of colour, um, as well as you know, other elements of design. But that's terribly important. And as I say, it's important for the actor to feel that that's right for what he or she is doing. As a television viewer, I, I'm interested in your, uh, your progress from not liking a genre to liking a genre. <laughs> how, how, how did that come about? How did you uh, learn to, to love science fiction? Oh, well, um, I was introduced to some of the great science fiction writers by someone else, and I started to read them, and and I got quite hooked and and gradually, you know, built up. And when Star Wars came on, I got very thing about. I thought that was wonderful, you know. So, t- tele- television-wise, what are your favourite science fiction TV shows? Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're obliged to say that. Yeah. There, no, I mean it. Still, I mean it. I mean it. Still no. under contract. No, no, I'm not. Honestly, I mean the designs are fabulous, absolutely fantastic. Although I have to say, and I, I'm, I've got to be careful how I say this. I do, my the new Cybermen are not my favourites. Um, as I said before, Harsh. number four, <laughs> number four. I just can't go for those flared legs. I just can't. I can't go for them. You know that's 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 entirely fair enough. Yeah, but but I I don't think they worked as well. I think the heads are quite good. Oops, sorry, um, but the but I I think the previous ones were definitely it. Hmm. Well, uh, Alexandra Tan, thank you so much for joining us on Box Cutters and telling us all about the world of costume design, and particularly Cybermen. <laughs> John, as you can see, was uh, very excited to get you in. Very excited. Oh, uh, thank it's been, you. It's been wonderful. Thank, thank you so very much. much. My pleasure. Are you one of those that follows the ads? Follows, 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 follows the ads. Follows, 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 foll
I love it when our listeners send stuff in, partly because I love to hear from our listeners, because it's nice to know they exist, and partly because it means we don't have to come up with the uh, content. That's fair. It's, this is... It's a win-win situation. user... User-derived content. Is user-derived content or sheer laziness. You be the judge. Now, yeah, um, current TV. Take that. We've had some, some very cool stuff sent in. Um, now, uh, I don't buy it. Usually it's, it's what we don't buy. This is a uh, you, the listener, don't buy it. I've got three different pieces here sent in by our listeners. The first one now, from Nero to Haycock, who, of course, is a guest. Commonly, uh, commonly, a common guest. She's uh, she's been on. She's a part-time box a common old garden variety guest. Yes, and she's a, a, a triple R presenter from time to time. She's a lovely lady. She sent in this well thought out piece. Fuck you, Ingham, you cunts. Never buying your fucking product ever again. The end. Yeah, I, when we got that email, I kind of went. Fair enough, but. Uh, well, let, let's hear the ad. We've got the ad here. Let's hear it and see here. Because she also sent us a YouTube link. Yeah. So yep. this is this is what what was linked. Ingham chicken nuggets made with 100% succulent breast and no artificial colours, flavours, or preservatives. However, if you're one of the 0.001% of Australians who don't like chicken, then there is something wrong with you. Ingham can help you keep this abnormality a secret. Simply call the Ingham helpline, and we'll send you these flat pack boxes. Just fold together, stick them in your freezer. Bingo. Your friends think you. Love chicken and are normal because if you don't like chicken, there's something very wrong with you. Yes, it's hilarious. Um, now I, I, I wrote back to Nero to say, look, there, there are many things I can see that you could hate about that. What was it particularly that that caused the swearing? Now she wrote back saying uh, that basically it's the tagline and premise that, that was the, the big problem. If you don't like chicken, there's something wrong with you. They go to the point of suggesting, condescendingly, the, verging on contempt with the eye-rolling emphasis, that it's only 0.001% of the population who doesn't like chicken. That amounts to 210 people. I think there's more than 210 people who don't like the taste of chicken, let alone the legions of vegetarians and vegans who don't like eating chicken for other reasons. I rarely eat chicken, and I know plenty of other people who don't like eating chicken. It's that pompous delivery, plus, of course, that the ad just isn't funny, so the whole funny premise doesn't cut it. It completely others anyone who doesn't eat chicken. I'm anti-othering. Abnormality was the real clincher, though. That just filled me with rage. Celebrate the difference, I say. If you look at the lamb ads, both with Sam Kekovich and the butcher and his son, they were actually fun or funny. Kekovich's ads pick up on phrases as bandied about by politicians and the media. The butcher and his son got everyone singing T-Rexes, I like to boogie, and dance around like idiots. Good campaigns that stick. Now, that was, that was from Nerida. I actually... Only enough I can say the point, because I think the Sam Kekovich ads were actually funny, and I, and I enjoyed those. Mm-hmm. This is obviously an attempt by Ingham to do a similar ad campaign. Like, I agree that it falls, it falls flat. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't work, and I think largely because, uh, I, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's fair to say, well, if you don't like chicken, you're a freak. It's I, all- it's, it's, it should be, I mean, the selling point should be, if you like chicken then you'll love this even more and your friends who don't like chicken will be jealous, you know, or something like that. Yeah, your friends who like, don't like chicken will start to second-guess themselves. <laughs> it's also just a weirdly negative campaign and, and, yeah, the joke just doesn't really fly. Now, um... Ne- like chickens. Like chickens don't Chick- fly. Ch- chickens don't, don't really... Ingham and chickens. Uh, now, Danbo also sent us in... Sorry, can I also just uh, in, in further to that? Yeah, yeah. There are only 210 vegetarians in Australia. Oh, yeah, but she's saying there's 210 vegetarians plus some people who don't like chicken. No, no, no. That's it. Oh, the, that, that is it. Only vegetarians don't like chicken. Oh, uh-huh. okay. I checked with Ingham. 
<laughs> I called the Ingham Chicken Hotline. Isn't there some controversy about uh, about Ingham Chickens? Oh, undoubtedly. Well. They're probably evil. There was a link on YouTube like, isn't it, to isn't a... Isn't it like fairly intense factory farming type stuff? Uh, someone else on YouTube had taken the, the sound from that ad and, and put images of, of um, battery farmed chicken on top and slowed the sound down, which, yeah, that's just freaky and creepy, whatever way. You, I have oh, so, no idea whether there's any truth to that. So it now just, you're against factory farming, Brett. Communist. Yeah. The, uh, I, I don't it's think it's only segment. Why don't you go live in Russia? Yes. <laughs> so, so let's move off. Move, uh, let's okay. move off chicken Moving and on, on to another campaign that, that basically isn't really working for investors. Dan Bo wrote in about Have you boys seen the new Gloria Jeans commercial yet? Now this one, no, we hadn't no. actually seen it all, and and I, I found it on YouTube. I've watched it now. And there's no point in playing the sound because basically the, the soundtrack is is simply a song by a kind of um, bright eyes slash her space holiday kind of band. I can't, I'm not sure who it is. It says here, uh, Dan, Art Garfunkel. Art Garfunkel. Art Garfunkel did bright eyes. Dambo says. The setup is a love story between these two breathtakingly beige people. What I don't buy is how these impossibly dull people are expected to convince anyone to go into, go into a Gloria Jeans outlet. I cannot possibly imagine anyone self-identifying with such an incredibly bland couple. I swear, the first time I saw the ad, I was waiting for the punchline. The two were like a comedian's facile image of a good Christian couple, which, given Gloria Jean's reputation in certain circles due to their connection with the Assembly of God churches, strikes me as an odd choice for the organisation to go with. Particularly when they then use this campaign to buy airtime during the most, shall we say, colourful programme currently on commercial television, not to mention the gayest. And yet it's still... Well, this is the thing. We actually don't know what ad show Dan's referring to there. We we, we didn't see Foot, this campaign. Footy show? No, because it's it, it's out of footy season. I can't think what the gay show on the, television would be. Uh, footy show is the L word, possibly, but it's not very colourful. No, well, colourful and gay. I'm thinking footy show. Yeah. Uh, he does end up saying, and yet it's still less creepy than the RACV's current Children of the Corn number. Um, it, oh, sports tonight could be sports tonight. But it, it was funny watching the ad. The ad basically oh, with Brad. The ad shows this beige man and beige girl, and over the course of what appears to be about 48 years, they're brought together by a Gloria Jeans guy who presumably has been paid a minimum wage and wants to die. It is actually, it's a very bleak slice of life kitchen sink drama um, for a company that, you know, uh, allegedly is evil. So, um, allegedly, you shouldn't go to Glory Jeans. Because allegedly, I'm alleging it really, probably, but I just wanted to make sure we didn't get sued by them. But um, yes, they, they do give money to some very dodgy companies. Anyway, um, so, and then Jet Girl, to finish off with, Jet Girl, who you might remember, sent us an I Don't Buy It a while back uh, about the man child for Big Pond. Uh, and mm. and she, she freaked out a bit. Um, BTW, I haven't seen any man child Big Pond ads on lately. Who freaking Ray? Jet girl, BTW John, just for uh, you, mm-hmm. is uh, by the way. Oh, is that what the kids are saying now? Yeah, bless them. Yes, that's what we, what we all say. Now, I wanted to end off with we we just confirmed by the way that Brett is the oldest of us, but uh, yeah, apparently we can't talk about that. Um, He's oh, ancient, you know. <laughs> when the Sumerians were around, they used to uh, they, they used to really comment on uh, on how old Brett was <laughs> back said, then. Yeah, yeah, oldie, yeah, hey, yeah. yeah. spin those wheels. Um, None of them understood the the painting up in my attic. Now, one of the interesting things about all of these, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. That's, <laughs> that's, that's so the, obscure. <laughs> Oh, it's a literary Gray. reference. It's Sorry, a beautiful looks thing. So young for his age. <laughs> yeah, but oh, Sumerians. And, uh, anyway, anyway, the thing about all these, I don't spies it, which I believe is the correct. Oh, uh, is that the cl- correct pluralization? I I don't spies it. I don't spies it. Eyes don't buys it. Isn't 
all of these cases, these are campaigns that are meant to be funny. And our listeners have basically said, I don't find them funny. I find them freaky or weird. And they annoy me. So I wanted to end off with a campaign I actually did find funny. Um, it, hopefully you will find it funny at home. This is a campaign which played on English television a few years back. And the only visual threat which you have to imagine is that it's an overhead shot of bacon frying in a pan. In a slightly, you know, beautifully shot shot of bacon. And this is what the ad sounds like. Are you thinking of soft white bread? A little dollop of ketchup, maybe? Thought so. Go. Go get the pan. Diet Tango, you need it because you're weak. Now, what, what was that an ad for? Diet Tango soft drink. You need it because you're weak. That's great. I just think that's a campaign ad I would put on everything. You need it because you're weak. Yeah, I, I love that. I do buy that. Mm. The other things, you know what? I, I just watched the Gloria Jeans ad, having never seen it before. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, terrible. Absolutely terrible. I'm right with you, Dambo. Right with you. Uh, we'll have both of those ads up on the site at boxcutters.net uh, in the same post as this episode, if you want to have a look. We really don't need a thing for this. I was going to come. I was going to come. Oh, that's that was a weird. Have you never heard that one? I fell asleep for a moment and had the most terrible, terrible nightmare. Have you never heard that one? I've never heard that one. That that freaked me out big time. Quotes was a a segment that we had fairly regularly back in the early days, and we didn't have an intro for it. Uh, and then we had a conversation about having an intro for it <laughs> that's what you on the show. <laughs> and uh, and then I took that conversation, cut it together into a very disturbing pastiche. Oh, I might mention at this point, too, where we were saying we should cut together uh, as, a, as a little bumper um, some of the beautiful things said about us by the edgy reviews from that podcast show. Um, I'll probably mention that in, pod, in pork as in, well. In, but yes, but that is uh, quite but, appropriate for quotes but as lo- well. Yes, loving yes. you, Daniel. Loving you. I would say Yana. He said Jana. 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 Love your work. You're grouse. See, now, now, I hate that thing of when somebody says your name on the radio or a, a podcast and, uh, and they get it completely wrong and then all we've done is made a huge point of uh, of the fact that we don't really know how to pronounce her name. Yes, no, John Richards, they know. got your name right. They did. They did. John. They said I sound like a young Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> <laughs> Not from Capote. Not from Capote. <laughs> Apparently I don't sound like Philip Seymour Hoffman from Capote. Thank you very much for that, Yana. I'm so pleased. Um, now, uh, I, I happen to be watching uh, something that I, I had to go in search of for... Uh, um, friend of mine uh who, who had been a <laughs> who uh is this that friend you have to go to the chemists for every so often <laughs> had been what <laughs> my friend has this problem it's really embarrassing but it's my friend he'd been it's watching me. Um, the the aussie let it to lady and uh so uh, happened to be uh out for the uh, the finale, which was actually so they they did the whole who's going to be princess thing um back at at Shropshire Manor or whatever it is and uh, then the the next is basically the reunion sometime later um, in Sydney with a view of the bridge and uh, 
it kind of struck me a little bit like, you know how you always have that cheesy bit in the in the last challenge in Survivor where they they have to talk to the photos of everybody that's gone before them. Yes, yes, like yes. It's, it's just a, such a they, fake emotional. They, they're they're they, supposed to. They do love that in a Mark Burnett production mm. uh, of uh, of going through and going. Ah, uh, yes, Jeffrey. I love. He you was. Too. Uh, he 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 was a, he was a good player. It's a shame now we have to burn down his photo. <laughs> I, especially since I've now discovered that most of those shows are recorded in like two weeks. You know, they're, they're played over Oh, the, like Legit to Lady. Well, yeah, any of those kind of reality things like, you know, um, Race Around the World, you watch it over three months. It's actually recorded in like, you know, a fortnight. Race and Around the World? What, what decade are you living in? <laughs> oh, no, no, but yeah, the Amazing Race. The amazing Race ah, is yes. what I meant. You know, so that thing of, you know, you, you, it seems like such a long time and they're all going, oh, I remember him. It's like, yeah, he was there yesterday. You yeah, know, yeah, we're, but, <laughs> but anyone who's who's been travelling knows that 16 days, which I think it's it's about 16 days because it's uh, 13 episodes and some of the episodes go uh, more than 24 hours uh, as far as shooting goes. Uh Anyone who's been travelling, especially backpacking, where you're going from city to city, you don't remember someone that you you <laughs> were in the same room as two weeks ago. You don't remember that. I understand. Survivor, though. Eh, what else are you going to do on the island? Mm. What else? He was that guy on the island. Yeah, just run away from he the smoke monster. He left three days ago. Yeah, <laughs> damn you, smoke monster. Keeps winning. That's smoke now, monster. As, as Wins. Far, as we get after you. Far as I understand, as ITV in the UK are only producing this show for the Australian market now. Um, viewer figures dropped off uh, majorly in the UK. I didn't, so didn't realise it's actually really... made by a UK company. Then yeah, it's not. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I believe it's ITV. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so so they were they were, it was it's basically a clip show, and uh, one of the clips I thought perfectly sums up um, what what the whole premise is about. I thought I might play it for you. After a serious breach of Hunch Protocol, Sarah then questioned everything that Eggleston Hall stood for. Tell us, are you trying to turn us into decorated fuck dolls for the pleasure of men, Mr. Schrager? That's exactly what they are doing. Decorated fuck dolls for the pleasure of men. Yes. Which I believe is a new series coming up on Fox. That's brilliant. What a brilliant quote. In six words, it sums up. That is... But she was saying it like... She's surprised. She did read pants <laughs> later on. She's saying it like she's surprised, like she didn't know what the, that, that's what the show was about. <laughs> because if Eggleston Hall stands for anything, surely it's that. Well, no, no, to be a lady, you don't have to be a fuck doll. But that's, but the whole point of uh, of the show is that they will take individuals and turn them into cookie cutters, uh, marriage stock, ma- marriage stock for uh, for, uh, for royals English and English gentry, peerage. yeah. yeah. Yeah, yes, um, but uh, well done. I don't think you should have taken it back. Whatever your name is, play that. <laughs> uh, I think uh, Slagbot 5. <laughs> okay, question three. Which can I- All these going to be about war. No, I got loads of... I got one on tennis, one on the Suez Canal. Loads. Okay, question three. Which canal links the Mediterranean with the Red Sea? Box. Ah, pork. We've actually, uh, we, we've got some time Double for serving oh, the, of the, uh, Ross this week. That was Isn't about, that so about strange? Quiz. We were swamped with entries for last week's Hell quiz. Hell yes, we were. We oh, couldn't yeah. move for the postcards oh. and the clay tablets and the that, wax cylinders and that thing we sent into space. Strangely, is, everybody was so confident about it, but nobody got it. Nobody. Nobody got it. No. Nobody, nobody got it right. The question was, 
uh, name the street in San Francisco <laughs> that featured heavily in the opening credits of uh, of Three's Company? Uh, the answer was, I believe. <laughs> you don't even know. You asked the question, you don't even know the answer. I don't know. To. I had the answer last week, and uh, and now it's uh, it's escaping. I believe it was Hayes. Uh, hey Street, but let's, one of the wax cylinders had it right, but unfortunately, we don't accept wax cylinders no. at entry. No, Hayes sorry. Street. It's uh, I'm getting I'm getting it's it. Hayes Run. I don't remember Hayes from my time. I'm getting uh, in the uh, Bay Area. I'm getting it up on uh, on so, my information. Yeah, now. but that was back it's, in the thirties, wasn't it, Brett? You know, things yeah, have changed. Since and of course, they they, Hayes, they had Hayes that great big fire. Uh, yeah, that the, fire in, came up. Yes, it's uh, yeah. Hayes Street, just off Alamo Square. Alamo Square, San Francisco, Brett. Yeah, not not. Not oh, uh, not is that Richmond. Down in the Castro? Uh, no, it's uh, kind of I don't know. Not, not Londinium. Someone else is driving. Uh, yeah. Anyway, no one won. In fact, everyone lost. So my mission might be Castro. Probably Castro. everyone lost. You know, the, but the whole gay neighbourhood. Yeah, thing. shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, uh, the 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 quiz does carry over, and we thought we'd give a slightly uh, slightly simpler. Uh, question uh-huh. slightly simpler. Uh, Three's company starred John Ritter. Uh, there was actually another San Francisco-based show that starred John Ritter. Uh, if you can name that show, not in the Three's company. Is it either. Sliders? It's not Sliders. Are you sure it's not Sliders? I'm pretty. Sh- I'm also sure it's not the Streets of San Francisco. Okay, just checking. So, uh, in-, in fact, I'm pretty sure I mentioned it during quiz last week. Is it Streets of San Francisco? No. Okay, is it sliders? No. <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's not sliders. It's not streets of San Francisco. Was it it's not. Man? It's not the Doris Day show. I don't think there are any other shows set in San Francisco. I think that was it. That was the entirety. Right. Yes, yeah, all three and Journeyman to four oh, and, uh, and and sliders. That's five. And while we Doris, are talking, Doris Day show. Okay, and that's one of the four. That was one of the. Oh, okay, okay. So while we are talking about that. So John just, Ritter, just name another to, another John Ritter. Thanks uh, to Big Cat for that very special link uh, in the comment. Over the week, oh, which I uh, I didn't see. I didn't get a chance to see. Um, little little kind of side on short short shot of uh, John Ritter's scrotum. <laughs> Great, yes, thanks for that. Yeah. Well, Do you want to have a look? I, I missed sure. the I can internet. Zoom it in if you want. I so missed the internet. Right? <laughs> Why? How do we know that's John Ritter? Oh, because there is, there is actually a, a wider shot of him, and uh, apparently after they'd shown it a couple of hundred times, uh, they did get a complaint from a viewer saying, I can't believe you're showing that. He uh, flashes. I've seen John Ritter's scrotum so many times. Please put it in another episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although, weird uh, enough, it's getting its own stamp. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. Uh, so that's the quiz. You can send your answers to hooray at boxcutters.net or click on the Talk to Box Cutters link on the website and, uh, and in the drop-down, select to enter a quiz or something like that you can win yourself a crumpler little wallet that will carry around your chicken parmigiana mm. hey um when i cast my pod it's with the box cutters in mind box cutters pod cast done pork is on the table and we've uh, pretty much run out of time for pork but i did want to mention oh. that uh the Website has uh, come uh, under a, a couple of changes, just, uh, just little changes, tiny, tiny little changes. You'll notice that in the uh, in, in the posts for episodes now, we're including 
links to Amazon pages where you can buy things that we're talking about during the show. So uh, if we mention a TV series that is available to buy on DVD, we'll link to either Amazon.com or Amazon.co.uk, largely because Australia does not have an Amazon site. Uh, But if you use those links, then we will get some money. And this is the first time we've really tried to get some money on the show. Uh, If you are going to shop through Amazon, either the UK site or the US site, uh, please go through our links and uh, and start your shopping that way. Yes, we believe if you click those links, even if you don't buy that particular DVD, you'll still be under our affiliate code, I, yes. I, I, I believe. I, I think so. I think that's the way it works. I'll, anyway, it doesn't hurt. I also want to point out that even though we are obviously prostituting ourselves, um, we will still hate programs and then give you the chance to buy them. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, we can still hate them and then you can go and buy demons. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, that, that's really the, the opportunity. If you disagree with us or you think you might disagree with us or you just want us to get some money in a really obscure way or maybe just like shows that suck yes uh and the money will go towards uh hosting of this show uh so that uh people can replace us with better hosts that's my understanding there better robot hosts (laughs) robot hosts uh yeah so uh so the the hosting costs of this show uh are getting a, a little bit more expensive uh, and we're looking at a way to cover those. Uh, so that, that, That's internet hosting, not, yes. yeah, not human not, hosting. Not human hosting because we, we still get nothing. We get nothing. We mm. get nothing at all. So we're just we're looking at ways to uh, to uh, cover our costs. Apart from this key ring from Chad, which I still love. Thank you, Chad, for the key ring. <sighs> That keering is excellent. Oh, still, yeah, you, I haven't you found a vending machine yet that accepts it. <laughs> uh, so yes, that's, uh, that's, that's something that I wanted to mention uh, if you are going going shopping on any of those Amazon sites, please just use our links. Uh, it'll it'll be great. And again, that podcast show, edgy reviews of that podcast show, uh, Daniel and Jenna, uh, they reviewed us this week, and it was lovely things they said, and they reminded us of something that we said and forgot about, which is a great idea for a segment. It, so it, it really is. It really is. So, so yeah. maybe we'll uh, we'll we'll try that one for next week. Mm. Uh, I want to say. Um, just, uh, just quickly. Um, I, I, in in my uh, process of collecting the news this afternoon, um, I came across a media release from Win Television, which is the the yeah, basically the Channel Nine yeah. affiliate for for the country areas, um, who have announced in this in this media release that uh, Thank God You're Here premieres on Win on April twenty nine at seven thirty p.m. Yeah, I'm confused because they've they've gone to seven. The, the capital cities. And what the hell are they doing on Wynn? And you, you didn't live Rituals. through you didn't live through that whole uh, Wynn Channel Nine. Well, during we're the day, gonna, we're not going to buy all of your uh, all, all all of your product thing. We're not going to just fill up all of our time with your product. We're going to look for other ways. So, that what, we can buy. but what are Prime doing? Like it's it's not well, it's really not a, their content. It's Prime, not chan- Prime's the the country station that that country network that has the. But it's not a Channel Seven understanding show. with Channel Seven. It's not a Channel 7 show. It's a working dog show that they're licensing to Channel 7 and also licensing to win. Channel 7 aren't licensing it to win. Hmm. So working dog, uh, uh, that's my understanding of that. Doesn't that kind of complicate stuff with with, uh, cross-promotion stuff that they want to do? Which they invariably do want to do. 
What do you mean cross-promotion stuff? Well, Channel 7 will have uh, their, their Channel 7 stars from Home and Away and, and stuff like that that they want to have on Thank God You're Here. And it'll be the nine affiliates in the country that's uh, promoting Channel 7's other stars. Oh, did they? Thank God You're Here never actually... Uh, it's funny, I'm trying to think now. They never went in much for that, though, did yeah, they? Yeah, they didn't, re- they didn't really do Channel 10 personalities. I think they just generally kind of went for, you know, stand-ups and... And people that they thought had talent. May not have, but they thought they did. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, okay. that's that's my memory of uh, lots of, of radio people seems to be my memory, but yeah, and that's that's actually something that is quite refreshing. With thank God you're here, that uh, does make it different from Dancing with the Stars. Mm. There's no dancing, yeah, There's or no stars, stars. <laughs> or stars, but but it can be a little bit more entertaining. So I I believe that that would be the way that that, that deal works. Mm, very interesting. All right, so I guess Prime gets screwed over. Dancing with the Stars doesn't really have any stars in it either, though. Now I think of it. What about Sonia Kruger? I wish I had that cricket <laughs> machine. That'd no, be great. No, no. That brings us to the end of Box Cutters episode one hundred and. Who is coming up with the ten years younger in ten days thing, which uh, is another kind of cut your cut your eyelids open to uh, fix you up. <laughs> hey, John, it's yeah. a terrible thing. Sure. That brings us to the end of Box Cutters episode one hundred and seventy-seven. That's that's nice. I, I wa- She's I, really I turned say- me off her. I want to say thanks very much to Alexandra Tynan oh, I loved her. For, uh, for, for her interview and you talking did. all about Simon. You, you loved d- her right here in the studio. Yeah, I did, was, right here in the studio. We're going to run away together. Moment, in front of us. There was a little moment where you just kind of licked her arm a little bit, and I thought just that was little, going too far. Me and the Tynan, we're running away together. Oh, we nice. Are. By the nice. way, so you're licking... She thinks, she thinks you're uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, though, so... <laughs> Everyone does. Actually, no, she thought I was Carrie Armstrong, which is even weirder. Um, <laughs> I'd also like to apologise in the future, because I've now obviously infected this microphone, and when Karen Lang comes in to lick these tomorrow, because she does do that before <laughs> each broadcast, she licks all the microphones, it's a, it's a good luck thing, I, I will obviously infect her. What's she so doing I, I in do on apologize. Monday? She comes in every Monday, licks all the microphones I think you're going to infect the, uh, the Lime Champions. I, I'm going to infect everybody. It's a challenge. I'm, I'm not going to lick yours. <laughs> it's gone wrong. It's gone wrong. I want to say thanks very much to Crumpler, who are our giveaway sponsors. If you want to win this week's quiz, uh, send your answer to hooray at boxcutters.net. Also, thanks very much to 3RRR, whose studios we use for recording this podcast each and every week. You can find them on the web at rrr.org.au. If you enjoyed this podcast, and uh, you know that's questionable this week, <laughs> although I'm sure the Alexandra Tyne interview was, uh, was, was genius, uh, please go into the iTunes Music Store and write a review, or Podcast Alley, or any of the... I know that's going back a few years. Uh, apparently, still ODM. there. Audio, I don't know, does that still exist? Anyway, yeah, go, sure to, uh, go, go to whatever podcast websites you can find and write a review. It will help other people find this podcast. Podcast Pickle. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, reviews are very helpful mm. for other people to find this podcast. So please, go do that. And I was, I was uh, kind of... <laughs> until next week, my name is Josh Canal. I'm Philip Seymour Hoffman, if you're <laughs> Australian. I can do you be fresh, crumbly. Thanks for listening to Box Cutters this far. Catch us again next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. And hey, let's be careful out there.